0: Trailblazers in research, innovators in technology, and those who simply have a good story, all make up the fabric that is George Mason University, where taking on the grand challenges that face our students, graduates, and higher education is our mission and our passion. Hosted by Mason President Gregory Washington, this is the Access to Excellence podcast. In the words of my guest and his co-author, since the beginning of civilization, African dance coupled with African music, has played a significant role in the lives of African people. In fact, African dance is so important to the everyday lives of African people that dance is incorporated into every ritual, ceremony, and collective gathering. Lawrence Jackson, an associate professor in George Mason University's School of Dance, has studied African and black dance, and in 2011 authored and co-edited a special edition devoted to black dance in the Journal of Pan-African Studies. Jackson is a dancer and choreographer, and in 2018 he choreographed an off-Broadway production of the play, Separate and Equal. The play's choreography was nominated for an Odelko Award which honors black theater. At the University of Alabama, Lawrence was the Associate Chair of Dance. At the University of Wyoming, and we gotta talk about Wyoming, (laughs) he was an Associate Professor of Dance. As we celebrate Black and African Heritage Month, I can't think of anyone better to discuss this aspect of black and African history that is so rich in substance, but has struggled at times to gain a foothold in dance curriculums. Lawrence Jackson, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Dr. Washington, thanks for having me. I'm deeply honored to be a guest on your podcast and also a huge congratulations to you on being elected to the National Academy of Engineering. That's a very huge honor, so double congratulations to you.
0: Well, I appreciate that. It is indeed an unexpected but very, very welcome honor. Alabama, then Wyoming, (laughs) and now Mason. We gotta get into that a little bit. (laughs) Because that's not just a cross country journey. Yeah. That's a cross cultural journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So I hesitate to ask what brought you to Northern Virginia? Well, it's the
1: George Mason School of Dance. I mean, it's amazing. I, I've always admired the School of Dance at Mason throughout my career, as it has an impeccable reputation for really developing quality and fine dancers who are really ready to engage in the professional dance world by the time they've completed their degree requirements here. And then that aspect, coupled with the esteemed faculty and the most, some of the most beautiful dance facilities in the country, would make anybody fall in love with the School of Dance here. I really also have always admired the university's diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility commitment to creating a very inclusive culture across the campus, which is something that I think is it's very unique to the university. And so being a member of the global majority, I feel very welcomed and, and valued here. And so I really look forward to really seeing how the next iteration of my career will evolve here based off all of this, the support and the resources that I have. You.
0: Man, that's fantastic. You just gave the ad for <laughs> George Mason University. You just outlined everything. And so, all of you all listening in, all you potential <laughs> students listening in, that's why you go to George Mason University. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've said that dance is just as important to black life today mm-hmm. as it is in African life past and present. Mm -hmm. I would love for you to quantify that.
1: Yes, absolutely. So before enslavement, Africans in African cultures, African people dance for many special occasions. And dance was and still is very much a part of their daily activities. And so within African culture, dance essentially affirms life and the outlook for the future. And after slavery, dance really functioned as a way to help enslaved Africans really connect and stay connected with their homeland, thus keeping their cultural traditions alive. So African-American social dances really were kind of developed from that. And so African-American social dances really serve as a tool to keep African cultural traditions alive and really retain a sense of inner freedom within the culture. African-American social dances really remain an affirmation of our identity and our independence. And they also house over 200 years of how African and African-American traditions have influenced our history. So ultimately, the present always contains the past, and the past shapes who we are and who we will become. And dance within both African and African-American cultures really serve as a repository of housing the past and the present. So I think that's pretty much how African-American or African dance is still retaining its sense of value and heritage within our African-American social dances.
0: Look, I'm, I'm going to tell you, my first time going to Africa, we got to spend some time in Ghana mm-hmm. and, I, and while I was there, we went out into one of the communities, and there was a village there that we went to, to visit and spend time with, and they brought out the head elder uh-huh. of that village, and the, the community basically welcomed us home, which was one of the great moments of my life, right, to be welcomed back absolutely, uh, to Africa. And so mm-hmm. afterwards, they brought out the drums and yeah. the music. yeah. And this was a community of young people and old people and everybody. Right. And it was just formed this big circle. Yeah. And we just started dancing. Right. Beautiful. And uh, we danced around circle. And so, you know, we just fell in with them. Yeah. And did whatever moves they were doing. We just jumped in and did the same moves. Right. right? We didn't know any better. (laughs) and they were at least older women they had to be in their 70s mm-hmm. uh, i mean these were older women you could clear, you could tell that yes but they danced us under the table man <laughs> They were, oh, man, we couldn't believe it. I, you know, 30 minutes, right minutes. Right, you know, okay, right. I'm ready to sit down. <laughs> uh-uh, uh-uh. They were going for like two, three hours. Yes. And you could just feel that energy. And I'm like, oh, man, yeah. this is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, that was that realization of mm-hmm. how important dance was to the culture then. And then. when And then when you peel it back... In my life growing up in New York City, no matter where I grew up and, and I spent time with family, I don't know of a time where dance wasn't an integral part of it. Even now, Absolutely. Uh, when, when, when my kids come home from school and we're sitting around as mm-hmm. a family and we're talking, we might be listening to music or something, at some point in time somebody starts dancing to something right and right. I can't dance right <laughs> everybody else can and they you know they you know my sons they know all the, all the latest dance moves right right and, you know and right. uh, and my wife loves all of the challenges every uh-huh. anytime a new dance challenge comes out she jumps on it and when they when we all get together that's what everybody does mm-hmm. except me I watch <laughs> and then you know I'll go out and then I'll you know there'll be a little part of the dance I can do I go out I do that and then I sit back down right right you, right you know, right just, just right. to let everybody know I'm you know I'm part of the family I'm part of the family
1: too that's right that's you know? right yeah and it's just, you know it's it's so innate within us like whenever we're we are, we are fellowshiping with within our family or friends like when that music comes on there's this that inner pulse within you that just wants to just move and yeah. you where that comes from and it's 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 embedded within our genetics
0: so so what is it about dance that makes it so important to African culture?
1: Well, again, it recounts history, it conveys emotion, it celebrates. Traditionally within African culture, it's it's been used to celebrate birth rites, rites of passage, and it really serves as a unifier for the community. It's so apart and ingrained in their culture like eating and drinking is, and it's always been there. One of the reasons why I wanted, within my scholarship, to really centralize the very importance of dance within black studies because it's one of those areas within black studies very very vital and important to the discipline that doesn't oftentimes get the opportunity to live within the discipline. It's kind of like really where the crux of my research comes from is is really centralizing dance within the discipline of black studies because when you study the dances of a culture you learn about the culture you learn about their sociopolitical beliefs their values their motivations it's like you using dance as an anthropological tool to understand the culture. So I think in African culture has just always been there. There's never been a time that anyone can go back to and see where dance was not an integral part of African cultural life.
0: You do know our community went through some significant and deep changes, mm-hmm. you know, through the Middle Passage and the enslavement. Yeah. How did dance from the African diaspora a change when it was brought you know, we could call this the new world, but as it was brought into this new world for our people, how how did it change? Well,
1: colonialism really resulted in the loss of authentic African dance forms because you had the spreading of African culture and religion and consequently their dances that went from one hemisphere to another hemisphere. And so Africans, when they came to these different cultures across the diaspora, they brought with them their dances, but when they brought their dances with them, they also blended their dances with the cultures that they were bought to. And so then the African dances really lost their authenticity. But what spawned out of that was new dance forms. For instance, tap dance came out of African dancers who combined with Irish clog dancing. And so they formed a new dance form. But we lost the authenticity of the African dance that went into the process of creating tap dance. But we got tap dance out of that. I think Africans lost part of their culture when they came over here uh, and, lo- and therefore lost part of the uniqueness and the authenticity of the dances. But, but consequently, we did end up getting a lot of different dance forms that spawn out of African dance, jazz dance, tap dance, ballroom dancing. All of that has Africanistic roots that were brought to this country through enslavement.
0: So let's go back in your history a little bit. mm mm-hmm. Can you actually remember the first time you danced? Yes, I can. Okay. When was that?
1: I was about 10 years old. There was a performing arts school. I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. There was a performing arts school there called the Academic and Performing Arts Complex, and basically what they would do is they would go into your elementary schools, your middle schools, and your high schools, and they would recruit people, recruit people to join their uh, dance departments, their theater departments, their music departments, and visual arts department. As a child, I loved moving all the time, and so when they came to my elementary school I jumped at the opportunity to join the dance department now I didn't know what I would be getting into I thought I would be training in hip hop (laughs) And the school actually only developed classical ballet dancers, classical modern dancers, and classical jazz dancers. I had no idea what any of those forms were. But I went into it blindly thinking that I'd be training in hip-hop. And I got there, and they asked me to put on tights. And I thought, okay, well, this will be just conditioning to get into the Uh, (laughs) (laughs) hip-hop. And, you know, long story short, hip-hop never came. But I I do remember when I took my first dance class, rhythmically— everything just fell into place it was a natural gift for me I definitely had difficulty trying to assimilate to like classical ballet because it was definitely new for me classical ballet strides itself on being very vertical and long and African Africanistic dances dances that I was taught as a child are African social dances are really grounded and bent and earthy and so to make my body shift into that opposite direction I found very difficult
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So did you pursue strictly that classical framework, or did you go into the modern side of things?
1: Interestingly enough, I trained heavily in classical ballet. I was really drawn to the athleticism of dance, and classical ballet is all about divertisements and technical feats, and so the more you learn all of these interesting steps, you just keep climbing the ladder of difficulty, and so I really enjoyed that in ballet. So I trained very heavily in ballet. In addition to my performing arts school, I started to train at at a ballet school, so I was taking probably four times as many ballet classes a week as I was taking modern and jazz oh, classes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And so I was going to pursue a classical ballet career, but I had mentors who were like, I don't know that ballet is going to have a space for you as a person of color. Because, I understand that. Yes. Because ballet really prides itself in symmetry. So you have a sea of white bodies on stage. And if you throw in a black body, that makes that line more asymmetrical. So black people are oftentimes not encouraged to go into the ballet arena because of lack of acceptance there. And so my career steered towards a modern dance career. And so I went on to have a professional modern dance career with a historically black dance company. What was your training like? So as I mentioned early on, I trained in ballet, modern, and jazz, and I trained all uh, in those forms all the way throughout high school. Once I went on to college, I began to really train heavily in jazz dance. I I found an attraction to jazz dance. Again, jazz dance has very Africanistic roots, and so I naturally connected to it. And so I began to heavily train in jazz dance and then heavily train in modern dance. And then once I got into, when I graduated undergrad and I went on to join my first dance company, the Cleo Parker Robinson Dance Ensemble in Denver, Colorado. We train heavily in African dance. And so that's really where I really connected and I was like this is connecting me to my heritage and my history. The movement just felt so natural for my body and it really went against all of my previous training in the classical forms. So throughout my time in the company I trained in ballet, modern jazz and African dances as well and also Afro-Brazilian dances capoeira. We were exposed to a lot in that company. Most of the work that we did was work that was centered within the African diaspora so we learned a lot of dances from the African diaspora, Mm Afro-Cuban dances, and yeah, and so I, I think in that time span, it's really where my, I began to develop a deep interest in dances from the African diaspora.
0: So how's race played a part? How's it played a part in your career as a dancer and a choreographer? Oftentimes, people, when they
1: approach me to do work, whether that's choreograph or teach, they assume that instead of assuming that I could teach the classical forms, they usually assume or, or invite me to choreograph works that are hip hop or right. that are African. And it really befuddles me because um, I, I think to myself, like, it, it just assume that I wouldn't be trained in the classical forms. So that's one of those areas where I feel like, you know, because of the color of my skin, there's this assumption that I Only teach Afrocentric genres of dance. So that's one thing. And as I mentioned earlier, the absence of black bodies within classicism is another issue where, you know, so many of us grew up training so heavily in classical ballet, only to find out that that was really not a realistic pathway for us, that we would have to be probably two times more talented than our white counterparts in order to get into a ballet company. And then once you got into a ballet company, what parts would you play? Would you beat a King, Or would you be the Nutcracker Prince? So those are things you have to contend with as a dancer of color who is trained in the classical forms. And then where do you go from there? Fortunately, a lot of black companies like the Dance Theater of Harlem, Alvin Ailey, who is here in residence performing this week. Wait, um, wait, 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 where? At the Kennedy Center. Yes. So they are performing at the Kennedy Center until Sunday. We actually in the School of Dance are performing one of Alvin Ailey's Artistic Director Robert Battle's works in our concert in March. And so I actually was just meeting with him uh, because he's here rehearsing our students. So we have the Artistic Director of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater that is here at George Mason University School of Dance rehearsing a piece that he choreographed on the Ailey Company and setting that work on our dancers here at Mason. So, going back to why I came to Mason, it's
0: stuff like that. No, like, that is fantastic. That is yeah. you can't get any better than that.
1: Exactly. Right. Exactly. And they're going to
0: be at Kennedy and outstanding.
1: Yeah. Yes, top tier.
0: So, who are the African Black dancers? who have influenced your careers?
1: Yeah, there's so many of them because, you know, my career spans from being a performer to a choreographer to an academician to a scholar. Alvin Ailey, the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater was huge, I'm sure it's huge in every person of color who's a dancer. It's a huge inspiration. Uh, When I was growing up, I didn't see A company full of black dancers and then pursuing a professional career in dance is not necessarily something that people within the black community oftentimes value Mm -hmm. and so um, so when I was growing up to have the opportunity to see the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater made me think wow like I could actually do that with my life so that was the first time that I realized that dance was not something that I was doing as a hobbyist but it was something that I was working towards as a career aspiration so Alvin Ailey definitely is hugely important but So the first company that I danced for, the Cleo Parker Robinson Dance Ensemble, Cleo Parker Robinson, who is one of the few black females who owns her own modern dance company, and that company has been around for 53 years. Wow. And so she took me uh, into the company and really molded me. As I mentioned earlier, she introduced me to Africana Dance Forms. She introduced me to pioneers in black dance. We also got to do the works of those pioneers. And she really developed me into being being a artist who takes pride in his heritage and also someone who really transformed from being just a technician to an actual artist. And I think that's the difference a lot of times that takes your dancing to the next level. We learn as dancers, we train and we train and we train and we learn how to do all of these technical feats very well. But when do you shift that into being an artist? The maturity that you bring to your dancing, the way that you embody a character, all of those things are are things that can't be taught, but they can be, you can be mentored and you mature into them over time. And so Cleo really helped me to understand like how to do that and to do that very well. Yeah, and then there were many scholars uh, Brenda Dixon Gottschill, Godsh- Thomas DeFrance, John Propiner, who have all like taught me how to, to take what it is that we're training in and to bring that into actual dance scholarship. Dance scholarship is a very small field because there aren't many dancers who go into writing about what we do from a theoretical perspective or a historical perspective. There just aren't a lot of writers. There's a lot of bright dancers, but somehow they never transition into a scholarly career. So those people really showed me the pathway to really to defining my, my research voice and, and really projecting that out to the masses
0: and so talk to me about your career at some point you transition into academia Go through the trajectory.
1: Yeah, of course. So I I finished up my undergraduate studies um, at the University of Southern Mississippi with a a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in dance. And and after that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was invited to attend an International Association of Blacks in Dance conference in January of, of my last semester at the university. And when I attended that conference, it opened up my eyes to the many different black dance companies, both regionally nationally and internationally in the world. Like I never even heard of black dance companies. And so when I saw all of these, these array of companies on stage, it made me really, really want to go in that direction with my career. So I I auditioned for the Cleo Parker Robinson Dance Ensemble at the International Association of Blacks in Dance Conference. And then I joined her company immediately upon graduating college.
0: So they saw something in you Mm -hmm. and gave you a job right then. Yep. Were you able to, Make a total living doing that? Did you have to do something else? Or how did that part work?
1: Well, Clio's Companies is is one of the companies, one of the rare companies where you get 52 week contracts. So, yeah, so it's most companies you'll, you know, you may work a few months and then you have to be unemployed for a few months and then you come back to the gig after that, depending on, you know, how often the company gets work. Cleo's company was is one of the few companies that's established enough to be able to offer all of its dancers 52 week contracts. So we never had off periods. Now, that being said, dancers, especially in concert dance, don't often get paid a ton of money. So I took gigs serving or and then also discovered a passion for teaching. So I began to teach outside Ah, of my company work.
0: There you go. Yeah, yeah. There
1: you go. And I began to teach and I taught at many different studios. I taught at IB dance programs within high schools. And then I realized that I really wanted to teach pre-professionals. And that's when I decided to go back to graduate school to get an advanced degree so that I could teach at the collegiate level. So I went back to Florida State, I got an MFA in dance. And then immediately after my time there, I was asked to do a residency at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas. And that led to me getting a tenure track position at the University of Wyoming. And I stayed there for six years and got tenured there and then was invited to join the faculty at University of Alabama, where I stayed there for several years and eventually became the chair of the dance program until Mason caught my eye. And then the heavens opened up and I stepped right into where I am today.
0: You skipped over that Wyoming part really quickly. <laughs> but th- but that's where you got that's where you got tenured, right? That, that's where you went through your tenure process. Is that yes. accurate?
1: Yes, so- absolutely.
0: So talk a little bit about that. That, That's kind of an interesting stop. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I I spent a good chunk of my career dancing within Denver. And so while I was in Denver, the University of Wyoming would contract some of Cleo's dancers to come teach at their summer workshop. So that was my first introduction to the University of Wyoming and Wyoming. And so I did that for several years, even throughout my graduate years. And so when I got my credentials, the university wanted to hire me. And initially I was thinking, uh
0: (laughs) (laughs) no i hear you
1: wyoming is a stretch for me and Uh, and
0: that was it was laramie right yes it's laramie okay yeah
1: and i thought about it for about a year and then eventually i went and it was really a great way to start my academic career because i received a lot of mentorship there i was very nervous about joining academia everybody has Shared nightmare stories about the tenure process, the bureaucracy of academia, and to an artist that is terrifying.
0: Oh yeah, I know that. <laughs> it's terrifying to everybody, <laughs> including the university president. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't want to go, and um, you know, and so I, I got the mentorship that I needed. It was also in Wyoming where I had zero distractions. So that's when we developed the special edition and. To the black dance in the Journal of Pan-African Studies. I had the time to devote to it. I had no interruptions. I also really found myself developing as a choreographer as well, because I was assimilating my research into my choreography, which was producing a new side of my artistic voice. And so Wyoming really helped me to find the space to be able to do that and kind of drown out all the distractions around me and yeah, grow. And there's, as not, a, there's
0: nothing to get distracted by. Right?
1: Absolutely. So no,
0: that that, that is... Actually, that's really interesting. And mm-hmm. you, you put it that way, but that's so true, yeah. right? Yeah. When you get in those environments where there isn't a lot else, yes, right? Very remote. You can focus. <laughs> absolutely. You can grind. Yes. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. And that might have been a little more difficult to do here.
1: Yes. Because you have yes.
0: Alan Ailey coming to town. Exactly. And you to Kennedy. And exactly. Have to exactly. <laughs> and you got so much to do in you the got DMV area. So areas. much to do. <laughs> exactly. I, no, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. This That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So, Emory University Professor Emeritus Richard Long, mm-hmm. a dance and cultural studies scholar who has been called one of the great pillars of African-American arts and culture, mm-hmm. he's written that there is a unified cultural aesthetic that links the black nonverbal expression of people of African descent through the diaspora. Mm-hmm. In other words, black dance is primarily about the specific movement vocabularies that originate with people of African descent and that the mere physical presence of black dancers in a work should not invoke the term black dance. Does that make any
1: sense to you? Yes, absolutely. And I agree totally with that definition. Black dance is such an elusive term because it's really hard to define it without almost otherizing it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think trying to define it also limits our ability to appreciate how extensive the African diaspora is and to accept what could be a broader picture of who people of uh, the global majority really are. So it's it's really it's you know, I, I kind of grapple with the definition too. defining black dance scholarship is easy because it's the intersection of black studies and dance. Uh, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And so those two merge together. You're using dance in an ethno choreological way where you're you're using dance to blend anthropological studies and understand the culture and in this particular case to understand blackness and black culture through their dances so that side of it makes sense but with black dances like is that dances that are created that curate the black experience is it dancers that are created by any black choreographer is it dances that happen to have black people in it so that's where the other rising comes into place and you're just like well what does that mean? So, so I absolutely agree. I think the safest definition to go with black dance is dances that actually originate from within the diaspora. And then you're speaking about the movement vocabulary itself, not necessarily
0: who's doing it. So that's how you would define black data.
1: Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think a lot of people will dispute and argue, and we're still trying to define it as within scholarship. So I think that depending on who you ask, everybody will say something different. But each one of them are very disputable. But I, I tend to agree that if you're talking about the movement vocabulary, you can certainly identify geographically where it came from.
0: Is it indeed that identifiable? If you saw someone in a ballet-type setting Mm -hmm. doing certain movements, would you immediately pick up that they are pulling those movements into that setting.
1: Oh, absolutely. Especially in ballet because it's the complete antithesis of African dance. So whereas ballet has a sense of verticality and lightness and airiness to it from a qualitative perspective, African dance is the exact opposite. It's earthy, it's grounded, it's rugged, can be rugged. So when you see a a ballet dancer that is channeling that energy or channeling that vocabulary, then you know immediately that that is definitely outside of the ballet vernacular.
0: So do you think as noted American dancer and activist Carol Johnson said that black dance, however you define it, indicates the particular historical time and conditions black people find themselves?
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. As I was mentioning, if you want to know about a culture study as dance, it'll tell you so much you need to know about the culture. And I, and I specifically within black culture, you know, you had movements like the black arts movement where people were making socio-political statements through dance. So absolutely. I think the movements that choreographers use and the music that they use tell a story to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And that story is about their beliefs. It's about their environment, their economy me. Or, you know, most importantly, their sociolo- sociopolitical values. So I absolutely agree with that.
0: You said something earlier that I thought was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. I want to connect it. So you started this journal, a special edition, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Devoted to black dance in the Journal of Pan-African Studies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What did you find from the perspective of scholarship, mm-hmm. written scholarship relative to dance? Was there much out there at the time or what motivated you to actually do this Mm -hmm. in this journal?
1: I think in African diasporic dance scholarship, it really is a body of knowledge that is one of the most least developed areas in scholarship, and that's really the heart of why we created the journal. So consequently, within Black Studies, there are very few textbooks that are used to teach courses, such as like an an intro to African American Studies class. There's not a lot of information in those textbooks about dance. And there's only really a handful of Black Studies departments who even offer African African diasporic dance classes, and even fewer of them even offer that as part of their degree requirements. So in order to really further the body of knowledge within this arena and to simultaneously move the discipline of Black Studies further or forward, we felt it was really imperative for an entire special edition to be devoted to discussing African and Black dance. And I think the edition really was well received. I think we definitely shifted the focus of black study scholars into seeing how valuable and important dance is to African cultures. And I think that that was really the goal of the journal. You know, as a dancer and as I, I, I deem myself semi-anthropologist, I approach understanding a culture through its dances. And, and as, I, as I said earlier, dances within African culture, that's how you learn the culture. There is really no other method of learning the about the culture except through the dances. So it was always shocking for me that within the field of black studies that dance was not the tool used to understand various cultures throughout the continent.
0: So that is interesting because hearing you say what you just said makes me feel like there's still a lot of work to do, right? Oh, absolutely. The the reality is, so if you look at what Raquel Monroe said, where Mm -hmm. she talked about, we have yet to shake the ideology Mm -hmm. of what makes a good dancer. That is, we still adhere to European aesthetics. Which value the lines of ballet technique, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. So we're here to that, and that's what makes a good dancer. Right. Then, and if as you just highlighted earlier, if African dance is the antithesis of that, Mm -hmm. it's the opposite of that. Right. It's dramatically different from that. Right. You either have two threads you can take. One, you're doing something dramatically wrong and you need to change it. Right. Or there is another significant field of study. Right. that can actually be pursued. Right. And that and and you know that that adds value mm-hmm. to the to academic discourse on the topic of dance.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It also ultimately makes a more well-rounded dancer-scholar. That's what all dance departments are trying to do is create dancers who are very well-rounded. They can go into any genre of dance or they can go into any area of scholarship. And so to exclude dances from the African diaspora outside of curricula is a huge disservice to the discipline itself. Part of Dr. Monroe's, the title of her article was, I Don't Want to Do African, What About My Technique? And within that, it's assuming that African dance has no technique or no technical value to it. Mm -hmm. And it's a common response that you hear from students when African is introduced to the curriculum because oftentimes African dance courses or any real non-Western dance course is offered is usually offered as an elective and not necessarily part of the major requirements to earn a dance degree. And so when African diasporic dance forms are really left out of the curriculum, it kind of places modern and ballet as a hierarchical dance form that's worthy of being and requirements for a degree in dance and not the other dance forms. And we also have refocused and said that, well, what qualifies as technique, in quotes, is centered on European ideas of what dance should be that are directly aligned and tied to ballet. Wow. Yeah. So until the audiology is broken, then we will have a difficult time trying to convince the academy that African dance is just as essential as ballet and modern in the development of a well-rounded and versatile dancer
0: that is very very profound where's Mason in all of this what does our curriculum look like yeah. how are we structured I mean we have work to do
1: okay um, okay <laughs> I'm my second semester in and I look
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so post pandemic you bring a post pandemic right right right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the beautiful thing about Mason is that we recognize that we want to expand our curriculum and create the most inclusive and dynamic curriculum for our, our students. And so I think it starts with wanting to do it. And so there's a desire and I'm happy to join my colleagues and really navigate our curriculum towards a curriculum that's much more inclusive of all of the dance forms, but particularly those dance forms from the African diaspora. You know, one of the essential qualities of African dance is learning how to dance polyrhythmically, meaning your body's moving different rhythms at the same time. There aren't many other dance forms within modern and ballet that teach you that one essential tool. That will expand your dance ability and your sensibilities. I definitely have spoken with my colleagues about it. It's one of the things when I interviewed that we talked about, and and there is definitely an openness there. And I think that I think it's going to be one of our strategic goals is to really work to diversify our curriculum a lot more. So I'm excited. I'm excited for what's coming.
0: So to come. well, this is good. Good to hear. Yeah. So I grew up in New York City. Uh huh. And I was there during the late 70s mm-hmm. or early 80s. I was there when hip hop, mm-hmm. as a genre of music, was started. Right. I mean, and when I say I was there, I mean I was literally there. I would yeah. before any albums were were made. I would see Grandmaster Flash and mm-hmm. cool DJ Red Alert
1: and right right DJ
0: Herc and all of these guys. Right. play on turntables in community parks Mm -hmm. and people would just dance. And and there was a form of dancing that kind of came out of that when young black and Latino kids started breakdancing.
1: Right, right. Right? And the reason
0: they called it breakdancing is because the song would have a portion of the song where there would be very little vocals Mm -hmm. and it would be the beat, the break right, in right, the song. Right, and those right. DJs would just play that break. They would mix that break over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and people would dance to that beat. Yeah, And so breakdancing became a big part of that growth, right? Right, right, yeah. right alongside with hip-hop, right? right. It's kind of morphed into a whole host of other things now, mm-hmm. whereas hip-hop's a little different, and you got to get all these different offshoots and different right. genres of the music, but right, it's still... Right. An MC with a microphone,
1: exactly, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> exactly.
0: But you saw this whole genre of dance mm-hmm. kind of grow organically, right. right? Literally from the streets,
1: right, right.
0: And uh, and what some of those kids did back in those days was just simply amazing. I couldn't, yeah, you know, it looked like they were floating on air. I, you know, I always wondered why that never was wholly accepted as a modern, almost like. An evolution,
1: right, right,
0: of dance, right, because it is clearly an evolution of African dance. It just oh, started and, and then moved forward. Mm-hmm. It, it was never accepted in that way. You, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: A lot of dance forms that were rooted in Africana tradition and vocabulary oftentimes never made their way to the concert stage and I'm not sure you know some dances are meant to be social dances and some dances are meant to be concert dance and I think one of the beautiful things that I I really love to see about black dance is that black dancers take a lot of their they take the, the the dances from their culture and they merge them with Eurocentric forms of dance and then they bring it to the stage. I'm, one choreographer that comes to mind is Rennie Harris who is a hip hopper contemporary choreographer who started his dance company, Pure Movement, and took all of that vocabulary to the stage. And so I think there were lots of like spin-offs from the black arts movements of the 60s and 70s and 80s that created such new forms of moving that, that just kind of got lost in that period. Uh, I think some dances were created socially to really serve as forms of social protest. And so they were relevant for that particular period of time until the next social protest Protests came. And so they really served as a political commentary for that particular arena. And then when the next social movement came about, there were new dance forms that came out of that. And what was common about all these dance forms was that they all really did help shape the ideologies of black identity our political beliefs in African-American culture, because we still have those dances within our culture. They're just mm-hmm. not as prevalent as they were in the times that they were created. Maybe because it, it was it was a political statement that was made for that time, and then as times progressed, there was another block of movement, because following the breakdancing era, you had a Russian commercial jazz dance that spawned from the breakdancing era, and then you had a, um, a span from commercial jazz dance into what you See, on like, so you think you can dance. Uh, right. so, so everything kind of just keeps building on the last thing. So I think that, that it held its place in time for the moment. It made its political statement and then it evolved into something else.
0: So when you talk about this kind of evolution mm-hmm. in, in the place separate uh, and equal, mm-hmm. That you know the one that you talked about that had this run off Broadway in of twenty eighteen. You yeah. choreographed a basketball game yep. between six people, yep. no ball, no nets, right, right, and on a very small court that right. was also on the stage, right. So, what was your process in creating those scenes, and talk about evolution as it relates to that?
1: Yeah, like that was bananas. I love creating that work. That piece was a a piece that a, a playwright by the name of Seth Panitch wrote the play, and basically it centered around a basketball court. And so one of the things that Seth and I did was that the work takes place in 1950s Jim Crow, Alabama, right? So we went back and we studied all of these basketball plays from videos that we saw of NBA games, and we studied those plays. So then we mapped out those plays on paper, and then we bought that into the studio. And then I took those plays and I stylized it into using contemporary dance movements for the actors. And so it was a a research aspect to it because we had to really go and we wanted to to keep the work as authentic as possible. So we wanted to study the different basketball plays that were being done in that particular time period. And then we also didn't want to to be so literal and have an actual basketball within the telling of the story. It was a really, really interesting process because I also were working with dancers who, or actors who were not necessarily dancers. So we created a lot of pedestrian type movement and built on that pedestrian type movement and stylized it a little bit more still trying to maintain the integrity of playing basketball. So it was a really, really, really interesting process and it grew me as a choreographer because I'm accustomed to working with trained dancers Mm -hmm. and so I think it was one of those times where I was, you know, where you don't, you're creating this work and you're like, is this good? Uh, Because it's so foreign and whenever you're moving into foreign territory as an artist you question the validity of what it is that you're doing and so throughout that process I really grew as a choreographer because I learned to stretch myself to think like you don't have to choreograph work that is within this particular arena you can stretch yourself to put yourself in uncomfortable spaces to expand your movement acuity and vocabulary and so that work did that for me and 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 also it's just a wonderful script and it's a wonderful story It, it really is inspired by some of the personal recollections from the oral history project at the Birmingham Civil Rights Museum and so we took those stories and we told them in movement. We also had an original jazz soundtrack that was composed specifically for the work as well so the composer would come in and see what I choreographed and then compose music based off what he saw so it was a, it was a, a, a wonderful collaborative experience that I, I definitely treasure a great deal.
0: So what is your next project at Mason?
1: Oh, a lot. Um, So I'm actually sitting on a panel presented by the National Center for Institutional Diversity where we'll be discussing the role of arts and the Black Lives Matter movement. I'll be sitting on a panel with, with multiple artists from visual arts, theater, music, and photography. And so we're going to talk about how art can basically help support the Black Lives Matter movement. At the end of this month, I am doing a collaboration with the School of Music, Dr. William Lake Jr. and I. Dr. William Lake Jr. is actually the director of the Mason Wind Symphony. They are performing on the 28th and they invited the School of Dance to collaborate with them on this performance. So we will join the uh, School of Music and create this and perform this work on February 28th um, in the Center for the Arts Concert Hall. So it's a hugely, hugely beneficial for our dancers and the the musicians, the the music students, because it's one of the rare times that two different departments come together to create a work. Our dancers get the opportunity to perform alongside live music. The musicians get the opportunity to work alongside dancers. And it's just, it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful production. So that's coming up at the end of February. And then in March, uh, yeah, I mentioned earlier, we have the artistic director of Ailey. His work will be in our March gala concert. Mm -hmm. on uh, March the 24th and 25th. We'll not only have his work there, but we'll have three other works from some more eminent choreographers. So I'm the rehearsal director for the Robert Battle piece. And so I'll I'll get the opportunity to see our students really embody that work in in such a beautiful and gratifying way. So all of that's happening. School of Dance is always, always busy. And so I'm just jumping into it, trying to figure out where I can just kind of help be a vessel and a vehicle to keep moving the school of dance forward but to have the opportunity to meet people like Robert Battle, who I met this week, is just amazing, and I, I really hope our students really know like how fortunate they are to see all of these eminent and emerging artists that they get the opportunity to train with, and not just train with, but learn their work. So lots coming up, and you know, I'm just really looking forward to my time here, and really just immersing myself in the culture of the DMV coming from Alabama, so.
0: We look forward to seeing what you can create and I thank you for this fascinating discussion.
1: Oh, thank you. I, this has been wonderful. And, you know, I I'm, again, thank you for the invitation. Who gets the opportunity in their second semester to meet the president? So
0: <laughs> Outstanding. Outstanding. I'd like to thank my guests, Lawrence Jackson, a choreographer and associate professor in George Mason University School of Dance. I am Mason President Gregory Washington saying, until next time, stay safe, Mason Nation. If you like what you heard on this podcast, go to podcast.gmu.edu for more of Gregory Washington's conversations with the thought leaders, experts, and educators who take on the grand challenges facing our students, graduates, and higher education. That's podcast.gmu.edu.